but we go where the text takes us, and uh, we are looking at some of the warnings that God gave his people, Israel, in the Old Testament, as we see them in the book of Leviticus, as he's um, unfolding the law to them. And there are some, I believe, very relevant um, points here to our our life in this world today. So we, we do want to look at these things. And um, it is a little bit disheartening, I think you would probably agree, as you view the news probably day after day and week after week and see what to me is, is, is the most astounding, what is the most heartbreaking thing is the devaluation of human life. And, and that's really what you see so much of when you, if you just kind of just describe all of what's going on of the bad news that's in the news, and thankfully there is good news here and there, but of the bad news that's in the news uh, here and around the world, you see that there is a devaluation of human life. You see people putting themselves before anyone else. You see them making some sort of a determination that that person's life is just not important. And they act upon those things. And so we see and hear horrible stories from, from the wars and conflicts that are taking place around the world. Horrendous stories. And I ask myself again and again, how can a human being treat another human being that way? It boggles the mind. But see, I have a biblical world perspective. Now, that might boggle, that might confuse lots of people. It, might be, it is horrifying to many people, but, but, but I look at that also from the perspective that every one of those human beings is someone who's been declared by God, created in His image, an image bearer of God. What an assault against God. What a rebellion against God when people do violence against other people outside of God's instructions for justice. We see it even in our very civilized societies. We see it in America. We see it in Canada. We see it in England. We see it in Australia. And it's not so visual to us, but it's happening. Babies are being killed every day out of convenience because some individual makes a judgment that this person's life, this little infant's life, is not as important as mine. This, this infant's life will be an inconvenience for me. It's not a good time. And so that person's life is destroyed, is ended, because another person decides that their life is more important than the other person's life. We see legislation being pushed even around this country to promote euthanasia. And as all these things are, there's, there's a nice face put on it that makes it look and sound like it's being helpful. Right? This person is suffering. They don't want to suffer anymore. They want to put an end to it. So we don't call it, you know, death. Or assist, we don't call it killing an old person or an infirm person. We call it you know, assisted passing, assisted death. It's just like, we're just helping them. It's really just a mercy to put them out of their misery. But that is still human beings in their finite judgment deciding that, well, this life isn't worth continuing. That life should be ended. We'll, we'll help that person. And it's 
just, it just takes so little for it to go from that voluntary assisted death to where a society begins to decide that, well, you know, these people really are a drain. They are, really are a burden on society. Their quality of life isn't so, so great anymore. They can't make these decisions for themselves, so we'll make them for them. And we'll just go ahead and assist their death, whether they want it or not. And pretty soon, the very elderly and the very infirm are no longer valued for their life. And it's taken from them. This has happened historically around the world and is likely to happen again. So what I see in this text here today in Leviticus chapter 20, as we enter this new chapter in verses 1 through 9, I see here the jealousy of the God of life. He is jealous as the God of life, as the creator, the one who gives life. He's trying to impress upon his people the importance of respecting, of honoring that life, particularly human life, because as humans who are uniquely made in the image of God. And God uses some of his strongest, most threatening, most wrathful words in this passage as he instructs his people to view human life more like the way he does. So I want to read these first uh, nine verses, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. And um, it seems a little bit disjunct perhaps on the surface when we, when we come uh, to some of the later verses, but I think we'll see that there is a uh, bit of a common thread there related to God's view or value on life. And for people to recognize him as the source of such. So Leviticus 21 through 9, the Lord spoke to Moses, this is the way the last chapter began, right? So we have kind of the beginning of a new segment of uh, revelation of God through Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I described last week this horrible, horrible uh, idol worship in Canaan of Molech. And its primary feature was infant sacrifice. And I've described it before, the horrors of some of how they did that. And so I won't repeat that again this week. But, but it was infant sacrifice. And it was horrendous, it was grotesque. And so God is making his view of that very clear. Anyone of the people of Israel, notice it's not only just the Israelites themselves, but if they have accepted anyone else who, can, who is living in their community, the sojourners, the foreigners, if anyone in their entire community, their entire society does this, the judgment is the same, they are to be put to death. And this was one of the strongest forms of death, of public execution throughout history. Crucifixion of the Romans being probably one of the worst. But this was, uh, the stoning was the, often, sometimes it would involve someone being even tossed off a bit of a cliff and stones dropped on top of them. 
But if something like that wasn't available, they would just, people would, you know, hurl rocks at them until, until dead. It was a graphic way to die, a painful way to die, I imagine, to die. And so it was a powerful deterrent for righteousness, uh, for a deterrent against evil and uh, motivation toward righteousness among the people of Israel. And God reserved it for certain offenses. It wasn't just for everything. But this shows his view of human life and the value he puts on it. If a person takes an innocent life of a little baby, then they are to face this painful public execution. And he goes on. He lays it on further. These are still the words of God, right? This is the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, and, and, and Moses is supposed to quote God. And so these, this is God still speaking in verse 3. I myself will set my face against that man. Now that's strong. Not only has he called upon the people of Israel, the community, to, to bring judgment on the individual, but he's doubling down now and saying, I myself will turn my face against that person. Actually, not turn my face, but set my face against that person. You understand the idea of what that, to set your face against someone? Today, that would be, you know, we would use phrases like, you know, being all up in their face, or, you know, you you could see someone just getting right square in somebody's face with the strongest anger and wrath and determination that you can imagine. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people. In other contexts, it seems that the cutting off from among the people often means ending even their bloodline so that this person will have no more heritage among the people. There will be no more descendants to represent this person. Cut off. It often means the end of their own life, Sometimes it might mean excommunication, but it also seems in some scenarios to mean the end of their family line among the people. I will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech. And this is the effect of this worship of this false god and this devaluation of human life. In God's view, it is to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. Continuing in verse 4, And if the people of the land do not do at all close their eyes to that man, in other words, if they turn away and pretend not to notice, if they ignore the crime, when he gives one of his children to Moloch, and they do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in the whoring after Molech. So God says, even if you, if you fail as a community to bring the judgment that should be brought against this murderer, against this idolater, then I will take care of it myself. I will end his life and the lives of Anyone else who cooperated with him, anyone else who is complicit, will be completely wiped out by my own hand, God says. And again, the language that he uses is strong when he says, he characterizes this worship of this false god as whoring after Moloch. He continues, verse 6, this seems to be turned to a different subject. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, Again, this language, this phrase, whoring after them. 
I will set my face against that person. I will set my face against that person. This is direct judgment from God for turning to witches or the occult. I will turn my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. Set yourselves apart. Be different. And be holy, for I, Yahweh, I am Yahweh your God. Third subcategory here. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. I'm the one who makes you holy, who who's pulled you apart. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is on him. In other words, his end is his own doing if he curses his mother or his father. Well, let's see what principles lie in these things here. First of all, we see that God revealed to Israel his jealousy for the respect of life. His jealousy for the respect of life. First of all, in infants, in those first five verses, we see that he held the community responsible and promised his own judgment if the people did not defend the lives of babies. Now consider, we are, as we've made this clear before, right? So when we talk about these judgments, we talk about stoning and things like this, we're not advocating from this pulpit that, that we should go out and do, the, do likewise. These, this is God's revelation to Israel in establishing his unique relationship with them as he wanted them to be a distinct people living amongst many pagan nations who are doing horrific things. It was a theocracy, right? Their government was directly from God. And this is how he revealed his own character, his own values, and his own will through his people so that the world around might know what the true and living God is like. He is the God who values human life so much that he will defend it to the death for those who might threaten that life. So he is demonstrating what his values are, what his character is, the value he places on human life. So he's instructing Israel to behave this way. He does not repeat those instructions to the church in the New Testament. So we are not called upon to become vigilantes or, or to form mobs in the street and, and things like that to uh, bring other people to that kind of justice. Let's just be sure we're clear about that. But we can see clearly where God's heart is, and He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So His values, His principles, His standard of righteousness is the same. It hasn't changed. His view of human life hasn't changed. So how does he look at abortion today? Those are human beings created in the image of God being murdered for the convenience of others. So we see that God places a high value on infants. And, and even Jesus expressed his, his care for children uh, some people, you know, some people just find children to be annoying or a nuisance, and it's kind of like, you know, get away from me, kids, and don't bother me. Kids are not important. Okay, come back when you're a real person and have something to say or something to contribute. And and even the the disciples seem to have a little bit of this this attitude of children as a nuisance. And we see that in the account of Matthew chapter 19, and I do have some verses here in the next slide. 
Matthew 19, we see that the children were coming. They were attracted to Jesus, and why not? He was the perfect man. He was holy. He was loving. He was caring. He was healing. He was providing. The children naturally were drawn to the goodness of God. So the children uh, were brought even by the parents to him that he might lay his hands on them and, and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. It's like, don't bother him with children. He's got important things to do. He's an important man. There's no time for children. But Jesus said, let the children, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus demonstrated God's attitude towards children. Even in that simple little thing, he valued them, even as little people. We also see that God revealed to Israel his jealousy for the respect of life in older people. And if we jump to those last couple of verses, we, we see once again, verses 8 and 9, this uh, instruction that anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely put to death. He has cursed his father and mother, so his blood is on him. This also reminds us of just the chapter before, if you recall in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32, and that's on the next slide, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear, fear your God, I am Yahweh. You see, God attached his own name to this value of respecting elders. When you respect elders, God says essentially, you honor me. And so to do otherwise is to do otherwise, is to dishonor God. Right? So God places a high value on the elderly. In Proverbs chapter 30, Verse 17, this is rather colorful. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Well, that's a bit poetic and colorful, but it shows you God's attitude toward rebellion against parents, against lack of respect and honor given to elders. So how does euthanasia fit into that? How does, how does deciding that a person's just a little too old, a little inconvenient, a little too sick to be bothered with, to care for anymore, just let, them, just let them die, just let them pass, ignore their needs, whatever it might be. You know, there's even a, there's even a passive way of dishonoring them, isn't there? Just by failing to meet the needs, failing to care for the elderly and the infirm. That does not honor God. God revealed to Israel his jealousy for the respect of life, both young and old. Secondly, we see that God revealed to Israel his jealousy for exclusive worship, and that's embedded in this. Again, he's made it clear that he takes it as a personal affront when people devalue human life, whether it be young or old or anywhere in between, because they are created in his image. And so he takes it as a personal affront for that, but here also we have to consider this other aspect that, that there's a false worship taking place that is an offense to God. God revealed to Israel's jealousy over exclusive worship over false gods. Verse 3, the mention of, of Molech, right? I set my face against the one because they are following after Molech. And he uses this terminology in verse 3 where he says, that to do this is to make my sanctuary unclean. It is a, it is a, uh, a contamination. It is unholy. 
and to profane my holy name. That's a very strong word. To profane my holy name. To follow after this false god. This is idolatry. I'm not a very ugly sort. But idolatry is idolatry. It is loving something or honoring something or someone else more than God. Idolatry still takes place today. In, in, in some of the most literal ways, and in sometimes in our society where people don't acknowledge the supernatural, idolatry still takes place in different ways. It's the things, it's the materialism, it's the position, it's the advancements, it's the self that is worshipped. He uses the language in verse 5 of uh, these people whoring after Moloch. It's a strong word, isn't it? It's an unattractive word, but it conveys God's feeling about a person who is following after these other gods. This idolatry is an unfaithfulness to him of the, of the deepest and most severe sort. He revealed his jealousy for exclusive worship over witches and ghosts and the occult and witchcraft and all of those things as well. We see verses 6 and 7. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, these are the people who particularly deal with, with the spirits of the dead or believe that they're dealing with the spirits of the dead, attempting to. Mediums being those people who supposedly channel the spirits of those who have, who have gone on before. A seance. This is an, an ancient, ancient practice uh, that's been taking on for a long time. Necromancers, people who, who uh, even attempt to bring the dead back to life. The idea of zombies is not new. It's not just recent years of, of movies. Uh, the idea, whether or not they use that term, has been something that people have uh, been fascinated with for thousands of years. And and God considers any of this because people are appealing to these for, for answers, for help, for power. And if they're turning to these other sources, then they are not turning to the one true and living God, the God of life, the one who can truly help. And so it is an affront to him, but, else, but also we're, we're reminded, as we've seen over and over again, God wasn't just jealous for exclusive worship for his benefit. As he says over and over again, the gods of the nations are idols, and that word idols, that the Hebrew word behind that means worthless nothings. So his point is not just saying, that's an idol, shame, shame, but he's saying, that's a worthless nothing. Why would you pursue that? Why would you look for help there? I mean, it's just as silly to... to to look after, to pursue witchcraft or the occult or any other idol or spirits of ancestors gone before. It's, it's just as unhelpful as looking for help from a ham sandwich. I mean, it, just, it, it is a worthless nothing for you. It can do nothing for you. And, and, and that we laugh at. You know, well, that's, well, that's silly, obviously. You know, I'm not going to get down and say, oh, ham sandwich, please help me get a better job. But to pursue any other source than God is just as ridiculous. So he is warning 
them that he takes this extremely seriously, and the judgment for such action is once again death. In verse 6, he uses that phrase once again, whoring after them, and we're reminded of uh, 1 Samuel 28. I didn't try to put any text up for that, but uh, you remember probably the instant incident because um, initially, uh, King Saul, he got a, a good, very brief good start as the first king of Israel, and he had, uh, he had driven out the, all the witches, all the mediums, all the, all the witchcraft and the occult. He had, he had uh, outlawed those practices in the land. But then later when he's finding himself struggling, having trouble, and he's lost favor with God because he's chosen to disobey God, and, and he, has, he gets himself where now he's really worried and, and he doesn't want to turn to God. So what does he do? He finds a medium, a witch, who is practicing secretly. He uses whatever connections and finds this, this woman and goes to her and asks her to call up the spirit of the prophet Samuel to give him advice. Rather than turn to God, because he doesn't think he wants to hear what God might have to say to him, he goes to Samuel and looks for advice. Well, what is Samuel the prophet going to do but deliver the very same message that God would have him deliver just as he did in life? And uniquely, it seems, God actually allowed uh, Samuel to appear in spirit form and speak. And of course, it was immediately a speech of judgment to Saul. This was the final straw. He had disobeyed God in so many insignificant ways, as Samuel pointed out. But now this is the final straw. You'll be dead tomorrow, you and your sons. So God takes that extremely seriously. So this is actually one of the briefest messages just because these points are simple and I want us to just to take these away. We see that God is a jealous God. He makes no apologies for being a jealous God. And why should He? He is the one true and living God, the one who can help, the one who is created, the one who has given life to begin with, sustains life even today the only one who can help, and he is the one who will judge those who do not turn to him and call upon him. And yet he's given people every possible warning, every possible instruction to reveal what kind of good God he is and what his values are, what his character is, and how to respond to him and relate to him properly. There's no excuse. So when judgment comes... As we were reminded from Hebrews recently as well, you know, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Let's not forget. But God has given every possible warning. So how do we take this? How do we use this today? Because I know that I'm kind of, you know, uh, to use an old expression, you know, preaching to the choir here this morning. I know that most of you are on board and in agreement in general about about the evils of infanticide and of euthanasia and, and things like that. But we're going to have to care enough about it to continue to stand for these truths, and we need to be prepared to explain why. We need to be able to point to the fact that human life is so precious because it comes from God, the God of life, and because He declares that human beings have been created in His image. And therefore, each individual human life has inestimable worth. Now yes, God has 
called for judgment and, and justice to be taking place at times. And, and some people seem to have difficulty understanding how God calls for death sometimes when he stands so strongly for life. But that's because there seems to be no other deterrent to people carelessly destroying the lives of others for their own reasons, for their own convenience, for their own selfishness. And so he demonstrates the seriousness of it with the judgment. So things for us to consider. Since God places such a high value on human life, including both young and old, we should never consider abortion or euthanasia as acceptable options. As we live in this world, that's, that point should come up there. We go. As we live in this world, as we have opportunity to vote, we don't, we don't and I don't think we'd even be allowed to, but we don't, we don't stand here and tell you what party to vote for, what individual to vote for. We don't do uh, political campaigning from the pulpit. But as pastors, we have to challenge you as believers. When it comes time to vote, how do you vote? Do you vote in line with God's values? Never mind party affiliations. Never mind whatever history your family has, whatever, whatever you know, work group you have, whatever union you're a part of, whatever any of those types of things should be absolutely irrelevant for the Christian. There should be no blind loyalty to labels. Every Christian ought to look at the platform of the, of the people who have an impact, who have an influence on what happens in our society morally. So every Christian, you should never vote someone out because, well, it seems like they've been around for a long time and my pocketbook hasn't gotten any thicker, you know, my, my, you know the, the economy isn't all that much greater, so let's try somebody else. No, ask yourself, what is their view on human life? What is their view on, on the moral standards that God has given us in His Word? That should be the guiding factor. I don't care what label they wear. I don't care what color they put on the, on the borders and the banner of their flyers. It's how do they align with God's values? We ought to always, while we have the opportunity, have the salt and light influence on our society that God allows us to. And we should never fail that. Don't get swept away by news media, by politics, by social media, any of these things that, that propagandize you know, the way you view different, different people. You know, they demonize one and popularize another by choice, by calculation. Just ask yourself, what do they stand for? How will they vote? Secondly, since God places such a high value on respect for parents and elders... We should never mock or dishonor the elderly. That might seem obvious, but if you're switched on while watching a lot of entertainment media, it's not that uncommon for there to be mockery of, an, of a little old you know, man, caricaturized, you know, cranky little old man or out of it you know, older person or clueless parents. We should, we should not applaud that. We should not laugh at that. We should look at it the way God does and say that is, 
dishonoring God because it's dishonoring elders. And that's the standard that God has set in His Word. We should not laugh at or applaud the disobedience toward parents or outsmarting cleverly, you know, working around parents' instructions or rules when they said you don't go to that party, that event, that whatever, or ride with that person in a car, whatever it might be. And, and over and over again, that's the theme of TV shows and movies of how clever the teens are and how they work around their parents and their parents are just so clueless. Ha ha. Well, God takes offense at that, so, so should we. Thirdly, since God is the only true and living God who loves those who call upon Him, we should never even dabble with witchcraft or the occult. Anything that has to do with power coming from a source other than God, anything that has to do with seeking, communicating with, trying to get help from spirits, from the dead, for those who have passed on, or even many of the many forms, uh, many of you are familiar, of course, very closely familiar perhaps with with forms of Eastern religion that, that you know, venerate ancestors. And it's one thing to show great respect for those who have gone before. That's consistent with God's value, right? Showing great respect, honoring the elderly, honoring ancestors who have gone before. But when it comes to the point of offering up offerings to them, burning incense to them, praying to them, asking them for help and blessings, that's what God's talking about here. This is a serious offense to him. And as believers, we should not toy with any of those things. Young people might find it kind of amusing to play with a Ouija board. You know, they've been around a long time and they don't seem to go away, sadly. Right. Sure, Jumanji's an, an entertaining couple of movies. Right? But let's be serious about what's going on there potentially with any type of game that, is, that involves a Ouija board, that sort of a thing. That is what God is talking about here, turning to mediums. That is essentially acting as a medium to, to attempt to contact other spirits in the other world. It, is, it is, seems funny, it seems innocent, it seems like a plaything, but I don't think it is. I think that falls under this category. So we should not even dabble with it. We should not play with these things. We should not tolerate these things in our homes. So how do we look at human life? How do we look at the exclusivity of God as the one to be worshipped? We need to look at them the way He does. We need to value human life the way He does. We need to treasure the young and the old and everyone in between. We need to acknowledge that they are created in His image and as the source of life, as the Creator he is the one who alone should be worshipped. He is the one alone to whom we should look for our guidance, for our wisdom, for our help, for our power, for our enablement, for whatever He has called us to do. We need to reevaluate all these, the things in our society. There's so many things that slip through. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of like we have a, we've, we've gotten kind of a loose filter system. The holes are too big. The things that we let through that we go, oh, that's just a little thing. Oh, that's, ah, that's just a little thing. That's not a big deal. Don't take these things so seriously. Well, maybe we, there, is, there is practical judgment, but 
Maybe we need to tighten up that filter system just a little bit. Maybe we need to be asking ourselves again, you know, if, if, if Jesus was sitting next to me right now, would I feel comfortable with this? Would he sit here and watch this movie with me and, and be comfortable? I, I'm speaking from a place of personal conviction about this. Right? There are things that we tolerate because we know, well, this is what this world is like. It's kind of hard to avoid it. But let's not applaud it. Let's not accept it as, oh, it's fine. It certainly isn't. Let's ask God for wisdom. Father, I pray that you would help us more and more to be conformed to the image of your Son and, and in so doing that we would adopt more and more your perspective, your attitude towards the things in this world, the, towards the, the very value of human life, from the, from the most innocent and unborn to those who are elderly and or infirm, that we would not choose our own personal convenience or, or preference over the lives of others. Help us to see people the way you see people as those who have been created in your image with eternal souls. I pray that you would help us to use good judgment when it comes to the things that we accept in our society. We know that society is constantly broadening their acceptance of, of things that you do not love, of things that you in fact despise. Help us not to be swept away by popular movement. Help us not to to stop looking at things through your filter, to, uh, to accept the things that grieve you, that dishonor you. Uh, help us to use good judgment in the things that we admire, the things that we enjoy, the things that we accept and applaud. Help us to be truly, in this world, the salt and light that you desire for us to be, that we would reflect your goodness and your grace to the world around us. Please help us to be more faithful. We do not want to be in any way guilty of, of this strong language that you used against your, your people Israel when they were unfaithful to you in the things that they pursued and the things that they loved. Help us to be faithful, Lord. I pray that as we are faithful, that we would be able to demonstrate all the goodness of your character and all the grace and the mercy and the love that is consistent with your character, that people would, as children were drawn to Jesus, that people would be drawn to us as we reflect your goodness and your grace. Help us, Father, to be people who are open to and aware and ready to have those conversations to lead other people to that relationship with you that will lead to eternal life. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Last week we sang just this, um, this little chorus. I wanted, I wanted to bring it back again so that we know it well and so it might kind of come back to us once in a while in the course of the week perhaps. It's just a simple chorus. With all my heart I want to love you, Lord, and live my life each day to know you more. All that is in me is yours completely. I'll serve you only with all my heart. And if that is our true attitude, if we continue to pray this prayer, that God will help